mentioned quite a few announcements being in the bulletin. And I know many of you know this, but maybe not all of you know this, but the bulletin is available at our website. And so today's bulletin is available online. If you want to go and look at that, there are a lot of announcements in there. And we would encourage you to go through that. Well, this morning, obviously a different kind of morning. The auditorium is cold and the auditorium is empty. Um, but I know that there are many of you who are watching right now in warm living rooms or uh, dens or whatever, uh, offices, watching on your computer, or however you may be watching live stream. And I just am so glad you've joined with us. And I want to just take a moment and really thank uh, all of those people, too many to name, who work so hard to put our live stream together each and every week. Very grateful for that. I continue to hear comments, especially from people who are shut in or who go through a period of time where they're just not able to come to church, how important this live stream is. And I just want to thank all of them for the great quality of work that they do. And on a morning, very unusual morning like this, the fact that the Word of God is able to go out, the fact that we're able to sing together, worship together, not in an ideal situation, but at least there's some semblance of God's people gathering. Well, if you haven't been with us recently, I am working through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. I am doing a six-part series on the book of Habakkuk, and I am in part three this morning, part three of a six-part series. This morning we are going to look at Habakkuk chapter 2 and verses 1 through 8. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verses 1 through 8. And just as we did last week, I'm going to jump right into the outline this morning. And our first point this morning is wait for the Lord. We have been looking at a divine, Holy Spirit-inspired conversation between God and the prophet Habakkuk. Somewhat unique in its structure throughout the whole Bible, in the Old Testament, among the minor prophets. Habakkuk is a question and answer between the prophet and God. And so what I want to do is very briefly this morning, especially for those who haven't been with us the last two weeks, just give you a summary of where we are at this morning. In verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk asks God why he is not bringing punishment upon the people of Judah. He is in the southern kingdom of Judah. It is going through a period of time where they are straying far from the Lord. Their leadership is corrupt. The people have become corrupt. And Habakkuk, as a righteous man, as a prophet, is just vexed in his spirit that all of this is going on around him. And he asks the Lord, when are you going to deal with your people? They are living in sin. They are disobeying you. And he asks that question that we looked at two weeks ago, how long, O Lord? How long? Well, in verses 5 through 11, God tells Habakkuk that he is raising up the Babylonians to punish the southern kingdom of Judah. 
And those, we think of those two really amazing verses, verses 5 and 6. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God says, Habakkuk, I am going to punish your people, my people, the people of Judah. I am raising up the Chaldeans. And he says, wonder and be astounded. This is what I'm going to do. And people have been fascinated for centuries that God says, behold, I am raising them up. Now, as I mentioned the last two weeks, the Chaldeans are the Babylonians. It is, the two terms are synonymous. You may wonder why some translations have Babylonians, some have Chaldeans, and you see that in other places in the Old Testament. And the reason is this, they are the same. The Chaldeans are the people group who live, who lived in Babylonia, whose capital was Babylon. That was the ethnic group, the people group. It was known as the Chaldean dynasty. And so it was the Babylonian empire made up of, not exclusively, but mostly Chaldeans. So some people referred to them as the Chaldeans, and some people referred to them as the Babylonians. But they are the ones that God is raising up to bring punishment on the southern kingdom of Judah, which doesn't help Habakkuk at all. He now has more questions. Oh, God. And we see this in verses 12 through 17. Why are you using a people who are even more wicked than we are to punish us? How can it be, O God, that you would raise up this powerful, brutal, violent nation? Remember, we looked at that at length last Sunday. How can you raise up this nation to punish us? It's almost as if Habakkuk is saying, well, I know we're not very righteous right now, but they're far more unrighteous than we are. And that brings us to the passage of scripture that we're looking at this morning. God responds to Habakkuk a second time and tells the prophet to wait for the timing of the Lord. Habakkuk, I am going to answer you and you need to wait. You need to wait for my timing on this whole thing. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it is Habakkuk. And he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk is saying, I'm waiting. I'm waiting at my watch power, tower. I'm, I'm waiting at my watch post. I've stationed myself on the tower. Now in the ancient world, everybody would have a watchtower. It would be the watch post, and someone would always be posted in an ancient city looking for the possibility of an enemy that might be coming, so he could warn everyone. But Habakkuk is saying, I'm waiting in the watchtower, waiting for God. I want God to answer me. How can you raise up the Chaldeans? How can you raise up the Babylonians, a nation more unrighteous than us, more wicked than us, to punish us? 
And so it's as if we're waiting with Habakkuk for the answer of God, and that answer comes in verses 2 through 20. We're just looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning, but Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, is the answer of the Lord to Habakkuk. It's a long answer, and we're going to look at it in two parts. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me. So God answers the prophet. God answers him and brings him a response to his questions. And it said, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Oh, Habakkuk, I am going to answer you. And I want you to write it down. And in the ancient world, they would have runners. That's how the news was spread. They would give like a scroll to a runner or tell the runner verbally, and the runner would go to this city and that city with the news. And he says to Habakkuk, write it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it, so he may read it and tell everybody about it. And then in verse 3, and this is our key verse for this morning, verse 3, It says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is saying to Habakkuk, I am going to give you my words, in essence, my vision. And it awaits an appointed time. It is going to be fulfilled in my perfect time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. And oh, Habakkuk, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And what a reminder, what a great reminder to all of us this morning that in everything We are always waiting for the ways of the Lord and the timing of the Lord. As I shared at the end of last week's message, our trust, our hope is in the character of God and in the attributes of God. Not in what we see around us, not in what we think, not in what we feel. He's saying, Habakkuk, wait for the appointed time. If it seems slow, and oh, how it does to us sometimes, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And he is, God is about to describe how the Babylonians will be punished in God's time and in God's way. But Habakkuk must wait for it. We know from history that the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonians in 539 B.C. The book of Habakkuk was written approximately in 605 B.C. As with many Old Testament books, there's some debate over the exact time of the writing, but generally, give or take a few years, right around 605 B.C. And I tell you that because the full punishment of the Babylonians was decades off yet. Decades off. But God would bring it about in his way, in his time. A.W. Tozer once said, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. God's not on anyone's timetable, but his own. 
God always does things perfectly in his way and his time. And if you remember nothing else, and I'm going to dwell on this as we end the sermon later, that's the thrust of this message. God always does things perfectly in his way and in his time. And in verse 4, another key verse here, another key verse. In fact, verse 4 has been a sermon by itself for many pastors. Verse 4 says, Behold, speaking of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar their king, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Oh, Habakkuk, know this. I know. I know Nebuchadnezzar. I know the Babylonians. I know they're puffed up. I know they're arrogant. I know they are full of themselves. I know that. But always remember this, Habakkuk. It always has been and it always will be that in the midst of whatever evil there is in the world, the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. That takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. When it says that Abraham believed God, he believed to God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then when we come all the way forward to Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul quotes from Genesis 15 and he says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. We think of Romans chapter 1, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And then Paul quotes from Abraham From Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. That's what he says. You see, we're saved by faith and we live by faith. And God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, don't forget. Don't forget, even though they are a puffed up people, even though they are an arrogant people, the righteous will always live by faith, by faith in the character and person of God, by faith in the promises and um, bedrock truths of the word of God. The righteous always live by faith. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is woe to Babylon. Woe to Babylon. God begins to describe the sins of the Babylonian empire and the judgment that will one day come upon them. And that's what the rest of the chapter is about. That God recites the sins of the Babylonians and he says, woe to them, woe to them. In verse 5 it says, God says, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people's And as I shared with you last week, that's exactly where the Babylonians are right now. They have risen to power. They are at the peak of their power. And oh, oh, the power they have, the mighty army they have. 
They were ruthlessly conquering city after city, province after province, and nation after nation. And it's as if it appears at this time in history as if it's as if nothing can stand in the way of the Babylonians. And God said they're like wine, they're a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. God says their greed is as wide as hell. As wide as Sheol, like death that never has enough. He gathers for himself nations and collects as his own all peoples. But then in verse 6, God begins to declare woe to the Babylonians. And in verse 6, God says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say woe to him who heaps up what is not his own? For how long? And loads himself with pledges. And God begins to declare the first of five woes against the Babylonians. We're going to look at the first one this morning. We're going to look at the other four next Sunday morning. They are known as the five famous woes of God in the book of Habakkuk. They have reminded many, many Bible teachers of the seven woes of Jesus found in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. And we see the woes of Jesus and we see the woes of God in Habakkuk and many see them as parallel, as very similar to each other. And we think of those seven woes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And we think of one of the most famous woes that Jesus declares. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, You are clean and beautiful, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. And Jesus, in great power, declares those woes to the scribes and Pharisees. And here God says, woe, woe to the Babylonians. And notice what he says to them. All of these nations, all of these peoples that you are conquering one day, they're going to take up their taunt against you. One day, one day they're all going to mock you. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. And for how long will you do this? He loads himself with pledges. He loads himself with riches and possessions. And then verse 7. In verse 7, God said, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. Oh, Habakkuk, know this. Know this. I say, woe to the Babylonians. One day their debtors will suddenly rise up. All of those they conquered will suddenly rise up. And they will make them tremble. And then they will be spoiled for someone else. And of course, as I mentioned, they will be for the Medo-Persian Empire. They will be spoils. They will be conquered by 
someone else. Woe to you, Babylonians. And then in verse 8, because, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples will plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. O Babylon, be warned. What goes around comes around. One day the entire scenario is going to be turned upside down and those you conquered will conquer you. You have plundered many nations, but the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Why? Because of the blood and the violence to the earth that you've done to cities and to those who dwell in them. And that is the first woe of God in the book of Habakkuk to the prophet for the Babylonians. And as I mentioned, we'll look at the other four next Sunday morning. Well, I want, as we close this morning, I want us to dwell again on verse 3 in the perfect timing of the Lord. I believe that is the key verse in this particular passage. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, O Christian, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God exhorts all of us the people of God in this time in history to wait for him, to trust in him, to wait for his ways and to wait for his timing. It reminded me so much as I was studying this week of Psalm 73. I preached on Psalm 73 a number of years ago. And in Psalm 73, it is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph, like Habakkuk, is concerned. He's troubled with God. And he's troubled because Asaph looks around and he sees all these wicked people. And they're prosperous. He says they're fat. They're arrogant. They have all these possessions. They have all these wealth. And God, it seems as if you're doing nothing to them. I don't understand. Why don't you do something with the wicked? I mean, they look like they're happy. It looks like they don't have a care in the world. And then in Psalm 73, if you work through it, if you come down through that psalm, you come to that key section in the whole psalm. It is Psalm 73 and verses 16 and 17. And Asaph says this, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, Then I discerned their end. Oh, it was a burden to me. It was hard for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, until I got alone in the presence of God. For us, it would be until I sat alone before the word of God, meditating and reading the word of God, memorizing, studying the word of God, then Then I discerned, then I understood their end. Then I was reminded, God will deal with the wicked. 
Maybe he will deal with them on this earth, but surely he will deal with them when they die. I know that now. I know that because it's clear in the scriptures. It's clear in the pages of your word. And when I got alone into the sanctuary, I understood that. Do you need anything, Mike? No, okay. Um, I understood that when I got alone in the presence of the Lord. And in this earthly life, folks, think about it. In this earthly life that we live, we have to trust constantly in the perfect timing of God. We do. There are so many things we wait for, but we have to trust him. Again, we come back to the character of God, to the attributes of God, that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth so are his thoughts and his ways above our thoughts and our ways let me give you some examples one of the questions that christians have asked for centuries is when when is jesus going to return oh the return of christ is our blessed hope we look for it we long for it And we ask, when is Jesus going to return? And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. We know he will. We know it's been promised. But we don't know when. But throughout church history, throughout church history, there has been this group of Christians who seem to have this insatiable desire to try to predict the second coming of Christ. It's amazing. That goes back hundreds of years. Some of you may be familiar with one example. Some of you may be familiar with the Millerites, famous account in church history. In the middle 1800s, there was a large group of Christians The overall, though they had many churches, the overall leader was a man named William Miller from where they get their name, the Millerites. It is believed in Massachusetts where they were mostly located in the middle 1800s, there were upwards of 50 to 100,000 Millerites. So there were a lot of them and that's how they came to be known. But William Miller had convinced all of those under his teaching, all of those who were following his teaching, he had convinced them that Jesus was going to return on October 22, 1844. October 22, 1844. And if you know the story of the Millerites, all of them, they sold their possessions, they sold their homes, They stopped farming their fields and they began to fast and pray. Everybody waiting for October 22nd, 1844. And of course, Jesus didn't return. Because it wasn't time. And before and after, people have always been trying to predict. Folks, Folks, let me tell you this this morning. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know. But I will guarantee you this. Based on the authority of the word of God, I will guarantee this. When Jesus returns, it will, it will not be a minute early or a minute late. It will be right on time. 
I will guarantee you that, that when Jesus returns, it will be right on time. And let me give you a key to the Christian life. Okay? Let me give you a key for the Christian life. Don't worry about when Jesus is going to return. Always be ready. Okay? That's a big key for the Christian life. Don't worry when he's going to return. Just always be ready. Could he return today? Of course he could. Could he return next week? Of course he could. But he might not. But he might not. It may still be years away. You be ready all the time. A second example. When will God finally bring justice and judgment to the wicked people of this earth that we live in? The same question that Asaph asked, the same question that Habakkuk asked. When will they be punished? We look around the world and we see people getting away with evil. Sometimes entire countries run by corrupt governments. And I just want you to know, God knows. And God has a perfect timing for bringing them to justice and judgment. It may be before they die. It may be after they die. It may be at the return of Christ. But you can be sure God is perfect in his way and in his timing. We struggle. When will the loved one that I've been praying for And I've shared the gospel. When will they come to Christ? When will my adult prodigal son or daughter that I've been praying fervently for, when will they come to the Lord? When will they come back to the Lord? And I would just say to you this morning, keep praying. God is doing more than you will ever know or understand. He is working behind the scenes in ways that is beyond you. So you keep praying and you keep believing. It's possible that some of you listening to me this morning, some of you may be going through a long period of suffering or trial. And you're very honestly wondering, how long is this going to keep going? And maybe in your private prayer life, you're saying, Lord, when's this going to end? Maybe some of you listening to me right now are going through a difficult time, and you've asked God, God, when is this finally going to be over? And the answer is, I don't know, but he does. He does. He's at work in your life in more ways than you will ever understand. Trust him. Trust him. I want to end with one verse. It's it's not on the screen, so I want you to just listen to me. It's not on the screen this morning. It's Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. This is part of the song of Moses in chapter 32. And this is what Moses says about God. Listen carefully. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is he. That's who you're trusting. Let me read that again. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways, all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Oh, what an amazing, amazing God we serve. Let's pray together. 
Father, the psalmist said, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Oh, Lord, our hearts sing. They cry out with the psalmist, Great is the Lord. Help us, O Lord, to trust in you. Help us to trust in your perfect ways and in your perfect timing. May you cause our faith to be strong and our hope to be steadfast. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.